Well, um, if you would like to open to Matthew chapter 7, that is where we will be this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 5. And if you need or want to look at the Pew Bible, that'll be on page 685 in, uh, in your Pew Bible. Um, before we read our passage for the morning, I do uh, have some unfortunate news. If you were here with us last week, I had the wonderful privilege and opportunity to uh, teach and lead our children's message. And um, I got to use a few props. I got to use some Play-Doh and some, some bananas and some cookies. Unfortunately, do not have any props for you this week, even though I, I did try very hard to, uh, to maybe come up with a few props. But, so forgive me for not having uh, any good sermon props for you this morning. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, uh, here in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, nearing the end of this, this great sermon, um, Jesus' most memorable sermon perhaps, that we have recorded in Scripture. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you've grown up in church, or uh, you've, you've been... Uh, you've read your Bible at all, uh, you probably are somewhat familiar with this passage of Scripture. And even if you, you haven't grown up in church or really haven't done just a whole lot of uh, Bible reading before, um, this probably sounds somewhat familiar to you. Um, we're told, even at a very young age, right, to judge not unless we too want to be judged. You know, there's a kind of, I think, common or cultural wisdom uh, that we have that it's, it's better not to judge, again, unless you too want to be judged in the same way. But I want to submit to you this morning that what I think Jesus is teaching us and trying to show us through this passage this morning is that there's something deeper, there's something better than just this common kind of cultural wisdom where we, we almost have this gentleman's type agreement. I won't judge you if, if you don't judge me. And what Jesus presents us with in this passage this morning is something better, is something more full something deeper, and something ultimately that is more hopeful and more grace-filled than perhaps we realize consistently on a daily basis. So as we look at these verses this morning, I want us to, to really ask, what does Jesus mean 
when he commands us to judge not. What does he mean? Why does he say not to judge? Why does he say not to judge? And ultimately, for you and I as as believers, as Christians, how are we to be transformed? Not only to not judge, but to be in a place where we can judge well and accurately, but perhaps more importantly, to walk alongside others faithfully. Now, before I get going, I do want to say this too. Jesus is talking about a specific type of of judgment here. When Jesus commands us not to judge, he's not saying to, to get rid of or to suspend using our logic and our reason and our emotion. Right? You and I make judgments every day, big and small, and we, we have to. It's a good thing to make judgments on being able to try to save a couple bucks at the grocery store and looking for deals to, to buy our groceries. It's a good thing for us at our jobs to use discernment and discretion as we make judgments about how we work and what our work should look like. You and I are called to make good and reasonable judgments. Jesus is, is not talking about those things. He is not saying get rid of that. He's saying do not judge. Do not judge and, and don't judge in a way that ultimately pits you against another. And he's going to give us a warning for why, for why that is. So Jesus is going to give us a warning here in these first two verses. He's going he's to give us the reality. He's going to paint the picture of, of what happens as we look at specks and planks. He'll give us a cure. He'll ultimately give us, if, if we understand all of Scripture and we look underneath what Jesus is saying, he does, in fact, give us a cure for being able to judge others and to see ourselves rightly. And ultimately, he does give us a very hopeful and a very grace-filled message. Jesus says, don't judge, or you too will be judged. If we can all just admit for a second, there's no worse feeling in the world than knowing when you're being judged by somebody. Right? There, there is no worse feeling. Um, I, uh, I have the privilege of... Uh, of being a dad to, to two toddlers and also a 10-month-old. And uh, if that's been you in the past or if that's currently you or you hope that's you, you probably have some recollection or you have some experience that um, parenting toddlers is often really, really difficult, especially when you go to public places. So for the Rector family, we, uh, we like to go to Chick-fil-A. We like to go do our grocery shopping at Publix. We love to go to Overton Park and play. And um, it's incredible. You, you know, as a, as a dad of, of, of two toddlers, that in one second, your, your kids can be acting just great. They can share. They'll be in good moods. 
They'll be having fun. And just like that, just like that, things can turn south really quickly. Someone cut in line to ride down the slide at the park. Or no, we, we can't get the vanilla ice cream cone at Chick-fil-A this time. Or no, we, we, we can't get the free cookie at Publix this time because we're about to eat dinner here in about 15 minutes. And it's just like that that, at least for my kids, a lot of the time we can have um, what could maybe delicately be considered a come apart. And you know, you're in a public place, you're at Chick-fil-A, you're at the park, you're at Publix, you're in a, in a variety of different places, right? And the kids can just come apart, they'll fall apart, and in that moment you just know, oh gosh, you just know that everyone's looking at you. And they know that maybe they feel for you a little bit. He's crazy, he's got two toddlers, he's got a four-year-old, he's got a three-year-old. Um, and you can just feel the, the judgment. And, and in some sense, you may not have much control, right? We, we can't always control our kids. But you can just feel it as you're in a public, <laughs> particularly in a public place, as the kids are having a little bit of a come apart. They're crying. They're upset. But then on the other hand, right? I, I, I would not just like to be judged when my kids are at their worst, but I'd, I would love to be judged when... My kids listen, and they respect, and they share, and they do all these things, right? When Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged, he is giving us, he is giving us a warning. Jesus is saying here that, look, if you're going to cast judgment, if you're, if you're going to cast some criticism or some blame or some fault towards somebody or, or towards something, then you need to be careful because that's going to be returned right back to you. We want to be judged at our best, but oftentimes that's not the case. More often than not, we get judged at our worst. But in this warning, Jesus says, yes, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oftentimes, I think you and I forget that there's a higher and there's a better standard. Maybe it's better to put it this way. We have a holy God. We have a great and righteous and awesome and perfect God whose standard we ultimately don't meet up to. We are not God, and, and so often when we get in places where we are prone to judge in an unhealthy way, in an unfair way, in a critical way, we say and perhaps believe that we can be God, that we know what's best. We've been through it before, so we have a little bit more experience I hope and pray that you and I will remember as we seek to perhaps rid, our, rid ourselves of this false judgment, of this wrong judgment, unfair, that we have a perfect judge. His standard is greater. His standard is higher. His standard is better. 
when Paul writes to the Romans um, in, in Romans chapter 11, Paul has spent a great length of time in the first 11 chapters laying out belief and theology and really some essentials of what you and I need to know about what it means to believe as Christians. And then in chapter 12, he, he kind of transitions to the very practical section of Romans. He tells us how to live and what wisdom we have as we navigate different challenges in our lives. But before he does that, he has just a few, few, uh, few verses, just a, a short little statement. And he literally just gives praise to God. After all this writing and after all this deep thinking and, and whatnot that he's done and as he's written this, this magnificent book in Romans, he simply stops and he says, Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. His paths beyond tracing out. I think you and I need sometimes to remember that when we truly understand our place and position before God, that we should be left to, to praise and we should be led to, led to giving thanks, knowing that God is God and we are not, and that we should be humble before him and we should be humble before him in the way that we judge and view and look at others. So Jesus does, in fact, warn us, but he also gives us the reality. He gives us the reality of, of what happens as we judge. He uses a great illustration. He talks about specks and planks. And this is a pretty fitting illustration for someone like Jesus, who, if you remember, before he really started his public ministry, he was a carpenter by trade, right? Familiar with building with, with planks and boards and, and sawdust and all of those different things, right? But you and I need to ask ourselves, can we really do this? Can we really follow this command? Can we really heed Jesus' warning not to judge? Is that really possible? Because here's where I think judgment, what, what exactly it looks like in our lives as I mentioned, we, we we're prone to, look, to, to find blame and to criticize and to, fair, to, to judge unfairly, to find faults, to compare ourselves with others. All of these things are at the root of, of judgment. So often we're, we're too quick to judge how some parents parent their kids and do things this way and not that way. Sometimes we look at other people and ask, how could they believe that? How could they vote this way? How could they really believe what they believe? Sometimes we judge and we find fault with those who maybe earned a promotion and we didn't get it. And perhaps we compare ourselves to others and ask, how is it that, that they can afford that, but I can't? How is it that their son or daughter received this award or made this team when my son or daughter is just as smart and talented, athletic as they are? 
the fault-finding, the comparisons can go on and on and on and on. And if we're really true with ourselves, we know and understand that we do this more than we would like. But the next part of the reality that Paul is talking about here are the planks in our own eyes. Or that Jesus is teaching here that, that, that we have planks in our own eyes, that, that our vision is so clouded that it's not just that we can't view others fairly or, or with sympathy or empathy or with love, but that we truly can't see ourselves. We can't see ourselves. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be in. But Jesus does give us a cure, I think. He tells us to first take the plank out of our own eye, and then we will, we will be in a position to remove the speck from our brother's eye. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, just leave the speck, just, just leave it be. Don't, don't, seek to, don't seek to take that, that speck out. He's saying, first take the plank out of your eye. He's telling you and I that the problem starts with us. The problem starts with me. My plank is the problem. More than anything, my plank is the problem and not your speck. Jesus doesn't say not to judge, to to suspend judgment. Indeed, he wants us to be accountable. He, He wants us to encourage and to lock alongside one another. He wants us to carry one another's burdens. That's what Paul is getting at as he writes in Galatians chapter 6. We need to be able to speak the truth, to live the truth, to be convicted by the truth of the gospel. But if you and I aren't first moved to conviction by God's spirit, that people aren't problems to be fixed but their brothers and sisters to come alongside and to love and to serve and to carry their burdens, then we're ultimately not going to be in a position to help. And we'll continue to seek to take those specks out of other people's eyes when all the while the plank remains there for us. Jesus gives us the cure the diagnosis is first with ourselves. The problem is with us. And until we realize that, we will not be able to come alongside and to be able to speak the truth in love. On June 2nd, 2010, the Detroit Tigers and the Cleveland Indians were playing a baseball game. Uh, it was a great night for baseball in Detroit that night. Um, the Tigers had a pitcher who's having a great year. Uh, his name was Armando Galarraga. Had a great year. 2010 was probably his, his best year, or one of his best years. Playing the Cleveland Indians, and uh, he was pitching really, really well that night. He was pitching great, in fact. He was pitching perfectly. For eight and two-thirds innings, he had not allowed a hit. He had not allowed uh, a run. He had not walked anybody. 
His defense hadn't committed any errors in the field. He was perfect. So with two outs in the top of the ninth inning, Cleveland Indians batter gets up, hits a, hits a ground ball to first base. Tigers first baseman has to range to his right to make the play, which means if the first baseman has to move over a little bit to get the ground ball, someone else has to come and cover first base. Typically, that's the pitcher. So the ball is hit. First baseman moves to go get the ball to field it. Galarraga runs over to first to cover first so they can make the play and get the perfect game. Galarraga gets the ball, steps on the bag, doesn't even look at the umpire, and he starts walking back to the mound until he realizes that no one else is, is celebrating. No one else is celebrating. He looks back, and he sees the first base umpire who had called the runner safe. He called him safe, thus breaking up the perfect game. You watch the replay, you know very well that it was a bad, badly missed call. A blown call if there ever was one. The pitcher clearly got to first base, made the play and got the runner out to secure a perfect game. The umpire at the time, who was at first base, Jim Joyce, made a bad judgment. He made the wrong judgment, and it was clear. Replay could, could prove that. Just a few minutes later, Galarraga got the next batter out um, to, secure, uh, to secure the win for the Tigers. Jim Joyce, the umpire at first, walks back into uh, the umpire's locker room at the stadium and immediately watches the replay and knows at that moment that he missed it. He missed the call. He blew it. He feels so badly that he immediately gets up and he goes over to the Detroit Tigers clubhouse and he asks to speak with the pitcher, with Armando Galarraga. And they have a, they have a moment um, Jim Joyce apologizes for missing the call, for truly ruining history. There have only been 20-something perfect games in the history of Major League Baseball. Galarraga will always be the one who was this close, this close to getting that perfect game. As Armando Galarraga was uh, reflecting on it after talking about um, how Jim Joyce had come and apologized to him. He said, Jim probably feels more bad than me. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's human. I understand that. I give the guy a lot of credit for saying, hey, I need to talk to you. You don't see an umpire tell you that after a game a lot of the times. But you know what? I just gave him a hug. The message the really good news in this passage here this morning is that while you and I are prone to judge and to criticize and to find faults with others, our perfect God who does have the holy, the perfect, the right standard doesn't judge us at our best or at our worst. He knows who we truly are. 
He knows that we don't meet up to that standard. And yet he offers us grace and forgiveness anyway. He will walk alongside us as a good and gracious father. Through Christ's merits, through his work on the cross, you and I have been invited to live in a way transformed by what he's done. To, to rid ourselves of unnecessary and harmful judgment. And to instead walk alongside others and to truly carry their burdens. And therefore, to then speak the truth in love. Would you pray with me? Father, we admit that ridding ourselves of, of judgment, of blame and criticism towards others is much easier said than done. God, there's so much, Lord, that needs to happen in our own lives before we are in a place or a position we are spiritually ready to really and truly come alongside our brothers and sisters to meet them where they are, to carry their burdens, to speak the truth in love. Help us, O oh, oh God, by the power of your Spirit, to be able to do this in the days and weeks ahead. We love you, Lord, and we offer this prayer in your name. Amen.